0: Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com.
1: Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 68. Today, we're taking on the problem of blindness and loss of vision. This is a huge problem for hundreds of millions of people around the world who are legally blind or partially sighted. The number of people affected is set to increase as conditions like macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy become even more widespread. Here to talk to us about this problem and some of the ways technology can help address it is Elieff Rodman. He's the director of marketing at OrCam Technologies, and they've developed a compact and wearable device to help address many of the problems associated with loss of vision. Also on the call is Guy Hilton. Guy is the general manager of Startup Nation Central, which is an organization focused on the Israeli innovation community. I'm happy to announce that Guy's organization, Startup Nation Central, has recently joined Digital Health Today as a sponsor and strategic partner. We'll be working together to highlight the great innovators and leaders working in Israel to solve the big problems facing healthcare today. Let's jump straight into the episode. Eliav, Guy, thanks for joining me and welcome to the program.
2: Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here.
1: Eliev, let's start with you. I want to dive into the success that's happening there at OrCam and explore what you're doing to help people who suffer from blindness and loss of vision. But before we get into the company and the solution, let's talk about the problem. What can you tell us about the situation that's being faced by blind and partially sighted people all around the world?
0: Well, there are about 350 million people in the world who are affected by some form of vision problem ranging from totally blind with even no light perception at all and through people who recently have begun to experience sight loss, often due to some of the conditions that you just mentioned. Macular degeneration is probably one of the most common, along with things that everyone's heard of, diabetic retinopathy uh, or glaucoma, uh, just as some examples. And We're talking about people for whom glasses or another kind of lens can't solve the problem. So typically, the way it manifests will be um, spotty vision, tunnel vision, peripheral-only vision. And for people affected in this way, reading is a huge challenge. And in fact, when you think about all of the visual information that's out there constantly surrounding us that people with normal sight just take for granted. I mean, we literally walking down the street, we're reading without even noticing it. Imagine being cut off from all of that visual information. You know, it's a tremendous difference in daily life.
1: Yeah, it is a huge problem. And as you said, it's something, reading is something that we're doing all the time without even realizing it. And when you take away someone's vision, just really uh, cutting them off from the world and and taking away, obviously, one of their primary senses, but uh, can really lead to feelings of isolation and helplessness and dependence on others that can bring about a lot of mental problems and uh, further health problems because remember, some of this loss of vision is being caused by health problems. So now you're taking away a person's ability to be able to, to see prescriptions and navigate their way to the doctor and use computers. So it's, it just really is compounding the problem. What are some of the options that have traditionally been available to people who lose their vision?
0: There are many technologies out there today uh, in existence that were around uh, really for for quite a long time. Some of them would be on your computer screen reading software. And then there are a couple devices out there. CCTVs are are quite popular. Uh, It's essentially a small video with a screen, small video camera with a screen with some extra controls for contrast or zoom that allow people with some residual vision to be able to read. With the CCTV, though, you can really effectively read more or less one word at a time. And it's very difficult to consume large amounts of text that way. And then, you know, there are lots of other aids that we're quite used to seeing everything from a white cane, which is a great example of a really low-tech solution, but very effective for navigation, and guide dogs, which people rely on for getting from point A to point B. But there was no solution out there. First of all, that was really, you know, high-tech utilizing 21st century technology. And also, uh, access to information is huge. And if you need to access that information via a computer or like a desktop OCR, then you're really limited to doing that uh, oftentimes at home or in a place where you can, uh, you know, you can set yourself up with all that gear. And one of the things we set out to do with OrCam was create something that's wearable so that people could wear it and walk around with it and use it throughout their day, take it with them so the technology kind of follows you around and is there for you when you need it most.
1: Yeah, aside from the cane and the guide dog, everything you described sounds not very portable at all. And with CCTV, is obviously something you're not going to be able to take around with you. And I could imagine that with the level of convenience that we've grown accustomed to and expect and need really to function in a lot of society, Uh, Having some of this portable and wearable, as you mentioned, would be a huge benefit. So I know that your organization, your company, OrCam, is doing really well. They've just completed another round of funding earlier this year, about $30 million in that latest round, valued the company at a billion dollars. Now, ordinarily, that would be exceptional, and it is exceptional, but the founders of your company seem to be on a bit of a roll because before that, the company they, they founded was sold to Intel for $15 billion. That's billion with a B, just for everyone who might be uh, breezing through this podcast. Now, OrCam's a few years old. You've raised $130 million in total on a, a $1 billion valuation. And with those sorts of numbers, there must be something really impressive that gets people excited about what you've developed. What can you tell us about it?
0: Absolutely. Our product, our flagship product, is called OrCam MyEye. And uh, we released the second generation of our device, which we call MyEye 2 just a few months ago and what it is is a tiny wearable device it's about the size of your index finger and it's got a camera it's got a little mini speaker that positions next to your ear the whole thing connects to a pair of glasses more or less any pair of glasses and it can read text it can recognize faces products money notes colors
1: and more so I've just activated the camera and I want to get a demonstration of this product because I've heard about it and now I've seen it on a video on your website, but I actually want to demonstrate this to the listeners because it's really impressive. So we'll have this video available on the website on digitalhealthtoday.com, but Elliot, could you just go ahead and show us how this product works exactly?
0: Absolutely. So I'm holding it here. Um, it's OrCam MyEye 2. And as I said, we've got a camera in the front, a speaker in the back. You can control it by swiping along the Volume knobs. All right, so we've got our volume ready to go here. And uh, we've got two little magnets on the back that correspond to this magnetic mount that I have here connected to this very simple pair of eyeglasses. And I just snap it on, I'm gonna wear it. I'm gonna put the glasses on my face. And the OrCam, my eye is on the right side here, facing basically kind of where my face is, is facing. And I've got a, a page here with some text. And, and this, is really, this is really, really cool now, okay? Because if this device was constantly telling me all of the information that it understands, jabbering on in my ear, it would be very annoying and, and our users wouldn't wanna, wouldn't wanna wear it all the time, right? So we needed to find a way to have it provide the information at a time in a way that's valuable and, and not annoying, right? So it follows me around in my glasses and then when I'm ready, I'm going to tell it okay read to me and the way we develop to do that is super simple and intuitive and that's just by pointing for us as humans pointing is like a very kind of intuitive thing and it's cool because it taps into the core technology of computer vision not only for the feature set but also for the user interface so here we go we're going to try it all right i'm going to point at this page with my index finger the camera sees the pointing gesture Snaps an image and starts to read. Over the past few years, the Israeli digital health sector has begun to mature from a technology hub into a rich ecosystem. The sector currently builds upon a combination of artificial... i turn that down in the background here. So now when I want to stop the reading, all i got to do my handout and the stop gesture. And healthcare provider...
1: And that's it. That's really incredible. So you've had this, you hooked this up for a speaker or to a speaker for this demonstration, but where would that normally be heard? Is it is it playing out where other people around you would be able to hear it, or is it somehow channeling it back toward in, in a low volume towards your ear?
0: Yeah, there's a little mini speaker. It's just a simple HD acoustic speaker that's positioned next to my ear. I can control the volume. In a place with any ambient noise, no one else is going to hear it, and I'd probably have to turn it up a little bit. In a very quiet room like the one I'm in, I'd probably turn it all the way down, and at the very most, somebody across the table would hear a faint murmur. It's really designed to be heard only by the wearer. And of course, in this case, I've connected it uh, via Bluetooth to an external speaker, so that uh, for the purpose of the demonstration, it's easy for everyone to hear. But typically, only our user will hear the output from the device.
1: Now, I like the fact that it's so small and it's something you wear with normal glasses, whatever glasses a person might wear. And just because a person is legally blind doesn't mean they might not wear any glasses whatsoever. They might have a few different sets of glasses they might wear for various reasons. So being able to adapt to that uh, lowers the cost overall because they don't have to buy a special set of frames for for your device. Uh, it makes it more accessible. So you're holding your finger up and it's taking a picture. I've seen similar sorts of things with augmented reality where you sort of hold your fingers out and you snap or something like that and it picks that up. So you're doing a similar thing with the tap. Is it communicating with the cloud or is this all self-contained inside that little tiny device that's on on the side of your glasses there?
0: Yeah, that's actually really important. Um, OrCam II works completely on its own offline. It's not relying on the cloud in any way. As I mentioned, you can connect it to a Bluetooth speaker for audio output and you can connect it to a Wi-Fi network in order to download software updates. But all of the core computing functionality is done locally and internally, which means that it's very reliable. Uh, There's no added costs of of a data network, no cell plan needed. And most importantly, uh, there's no privacy concern because in order to use this device, it not only doesn't have to be connected, but it's not transmitting your information out to anywhere else. So, it's entirely basically unhackable. The data is very safe it doesn't actually store very much data. The reading is done on the fly. So it reads and then it forgets and face recognition is done via uh, an algorithm. So the algorithm is actually saving a signature and not a photo. As we know from from our mobile phones, the transmission is probably what taxes the battery the most. And here with no transition, we get a great amount of battery life, especially considering the tiny form factor. But more importantly, there's no privacy concern. So we have, for example, a a NASA engineer who lost his sight and he uses OrCam at NASA and it's no problem. Houston, we don't have a problem. The data is safe.
1: (laughs) Excellent. It really is a very tiny device. And and this is the second generation. So the first generation had a a wire and a, a separate packet, some description. So I saw some videos of that as well. And if anybody goes online and takes a look at this and they get a little confused about what we're describing compared to what they're seeing here uh, this is very small very compact, completely self-contained on the temple of the wearer. so what else can it do uh
0: yeah so text face recognition which is going to be complicated to do like over a camera on a podcast but it takes about 10 seconds to enter the face of a friend or a family member into the memory of the OrCam Ii device, and then every time it sees them, it will announce their name. And this is amazing in social situations because people, especially people who are losing their sight, maybe are afraid to tell people, maybe aren't quite ready for the implications of that socially, to be able to walk into the room and have it say, Dan, into my ear, and I can just be like, Hey, Dan, nice to see you again. We have a normal social interaction. That's a huge thing. And really, when you look at all the things that we're doing with with this OrCam Ii device, we're not just providing the ability to read, recognize a face, or a product, colors, money notes. We're giving people independence because they're able to do these things on their own without having to rely on the help of somebody else. And that is a huge improvement in people's quality of life.
1: Yeah. And I imagine that there's going to be other applications for this beyond people who are blind and have uh, partial vision loss, right? I mean, there's going to be other applications from people who suffer from dyslexia or get fatigued while reading. Have you looked at other sorts of markets and applications for this?
0: Absolutely. So, as you said, there are plenty of people whose problem is not physically in the eyes, but it's in the ability to process information uh, in their brain. And so, dyslexia is a great example of that. Um, dyslexia is a condition that's on the rise in the world. If you look at the statistics, there's people with aphasia, uh, often as a result of a stroke, who have a real hard time reading. Uh, people with uh, face blindness, prosopagnosia, uh, who have a just you know, a, a huge challenge recognizing people's faces. And then there's people for whom reading is something they have to do for, for their work. Think about students, for example, who are asked to read tremendous amounts of information. And not all of us are visual learners. Many of us are auditory learners. And the ability to take in large amounts of information via audio is better. You know, for some people, this is a huge matter of quality of life and it becomes a necessity It becomes something that they use every single day. For some people, it's a forceful amplifier, enabling them to access information better. But altogether, we think that there's about a billion people in the world that we can help with this
1: device. Is there anything else cool that it does?
0: Yeah, this is something that our users actually asked for. They said, you know, can you help me uh, tell the time? And so we said, yeah, absolutely. So we've got the pointing gesture says read to me now. The stop gesture says stop reading. And if you just look at your watch. The time is 4.26 p.m. And I'm not wearing a watch. Today is Wednesday, July 11, 2018.
1: That's very cool. So actually, you just talked about the fact that people were asking you for this. And this is actually what I was going to come on to next. Because when you launched this, the first market that you targeted was the U.S. So you developed the product in English for the U.S. market. And then the second market that you approached was the Israeli market, and you trained this device to read Hebrew. Tell me why you did that.
0: You know, it's a a funny story. We started off, as you said, in the US, and when you ask Americans, Brits, a lot of people around the world, you ask them, so how is it? The answer you get sounds, sounds something like this, oh, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. I really like it. You know, wouldn't it be great if maybe possibly you could also incorporate, you ask an Israeli, so how is it? And they're like, it sucks. <laughs> and you're like, oh really? Tell me why? And like, Well, it doesn't do this. Like, oh, you wanted to do that? Of course I wanted it to do that and I wanted it to do it yesterday. How come you guys didn't think of that already? <laughs> And that's kind of how we are. Israelis are very direct. There's, you know, there's no BS involved. And we found that to be a huge asset being based in Israel. Aside from the fact that you know, it was easy to access the, the people and the, there was no time difference issues, what we got out of our Israeli beta testers was gold because they don't sugarcoat it. And it made our feedback and development process super efficient, super fine-tuned
1: now it's available in 12 languages and last i heard it was available in over 20 countries what are the numbers there and what are your expansion plans because i don't think you've moved east yet
0: right so we started off with english speaking markets um today it's available also across europe moving eastward so we have uh, french and italian and german and spanish we have um the nordic uh, languages covered uh, hebrew uh, Czech was recently introduced, and we're working on Russian, we're working on Arabic. And uh, we already have working prototypes in Chinese, in Japanese, and in Korean. And we expect to make OrCam eye available uh, in those languages in those countries later this year. So, you can already find us, uh, you can go on to OrCam.com and see exactly where it is available already, including online uh, directly from us in some cases. And oftentimes, actually, if you are eligible, so if you're registered as legally blind, uh, in many of the countries that we are available in, you can actually receive a subsidy or assistance from either the government or the health insurance providers.
1: And I think there was also a program for veterans as well, you mentioned. That's right. In the United
0: States, the Department of Veterans Affairs actually will provide an OrCam MyEye to any eligible veteran. They just have to essentially request it and go through a process with what's called their VIST coordinator.
1: What's the price point on this product, roughly?
0: So the retail price for OrCam MyEye2 is $4,500. That's our U.S. pricing. Pricing anywhere else in the world is going to be essentially the equivalent adjusting for the currency and for the taxes.
1: Excellent, yeah, and I imagine as you do more and find more applications and can manufacture these, the the cost will continue to drop as well, like big screen televisions did years ago. Guy, let's bring you in on the conversation here. So you're the general manager of Startup Nation Central. So first of all, would you explain a little bit about your organization and what you guys do?
2: So Startup Nation Central is an NGO, a nonprofit, that was actually created to connect the global community to Israeli innovation. We function, as the gateway to Israeli tech innovation. And essentially, we're focused on, let's say, three major elements. First one being uh, connecting the world into the Israeli ecosystem, the technology one, whether it's multinationals, corporates, governments, who want to understand a bit more about what startup nation is, uh, the different sectors, coming with specific uh, technological challenges or looking for innovation. We serve as their gateway. And you could think of us as a GPS, to help them navigate the Israeli ecosystem, which is very, very diverse. In order to do that, we do it either in a form of delegations coming into Israel, or we have an online platform. We call it our Innovation Discovery Platform, uh, codename Startup Nation Finder. And within that, it's a free platform. You can log in, just Google Startup Nation Finder, and you can actually search and look at anything that has to do with the Israeli innovation ecosystem from startups to accelerators, hubs, angels, uh, investors, and even a whole layer of academia, innovation, all the stuff that's coming out of the different uh, tech technology offices or transfer offices that are ready for commercialization. These, if you're interested, would probably show you what, what the next 10 to 15 years would look like in a global perspective. Last thing we do is we do sector development. So we look at specific sectors that have the potential to really grow globally. And we help them actually overcome their infancy stages in order for them to really become substantial on a global scale.
1: Just in terms of that Finder program that you offer, listeners can find that by going to startupnationcentral.org. And up in the top right corner is the link to that Finder program. It is free to access, which I was a little surprised by. I was on that earlier and uh, went ahead and joined. You can just sign in with your Google ID or your LinkedIn profile and get access to all the information that Guy just mentioned. Uh, Some really amazing companies that are there, multinationals, hubs, uh, some academia that you guys are working on profiling there and, and, and including in that ecosystem as well. So we're talking about OrCam. It's an amazing experience that they're having. They've raised some money. They've expanded to 20 countries. They've got a lot more in the pipeline. Everyone knows that Israel has a strong history in technology and technology companies. What's in the water over there? What's the cause of all this exceptional strength? that companies seem to have that, when they're created in Israel?
2: So, I think, it's, I think it's a combination of parameters. First of all, if you think about the density of startups per, you know, per square feet, then we have probably one startup for every 1,500 people in Israel. If you think about it, and, and we try to usually translate it to something a bit more tangible, we usually see about 1,000 new innovative startups a year, which if you quickly think about it, it's a new breakthrough almost every eight hours. And it has to do with several elements. It has to do, first of all, with necessity. And this is maybe a short history lesson. When Israel was actually established, there was very little you know, um, infrastructure from a country perspective. And necessity brought a lot of innovation into it. And that became sort of the Israeli character. Uh, and it's mostly characterized by risk-taking, very independent, a very, very, very thorough, okay-to-fail type of mentality. A lot of cultures are sort of shy away from failure or try to sort of downgrade the effect of a failure. In Israel, this is cherished. It's okay to fail. And as long as you learn something from it, the next time you'll do it better. And I think last but not least, and and Eliyav alluded that as well, is what we call in Hebrew tachlitz, or truth be told, or in practice. It's the very straightforward, in-your-face type of, of feedback that you get, and those quick feedback loops between the different Israeli entrepreneurs either within their own companies or between different companies, actually accelerate the improvement process significantly. And if you take all that and figure out that also Israel by itself is a fairly small market, every startup that actually starts in Israel from day one thinks globally because the Israeli market would not be sustaining their, uh, let's called their market expansion needs. So by definition, being a small country plays to our favor because we think globally from day one.
1: That's an amazing number of startups that are being created there. And as you both have mentioned, the demanding nature of the the local population provides you great information in that feedback loop, right? So it allows you to iterate, even though you might be dealing with a smaller number of people than some other larger countries, it allows you to really get some candid feedback and go back and innovate, change, and develop. So you have a great culture, a risk-taking culture. You've got a great feedback loop that gets created. You've got investors there as well, right?
2: Correct. I think if you look at venture capital ranking, then Israel is ranked either first or second worldwide in per capita ventures than any other country. And this has to go with both the local venture capitals or the angels and other you know other investment um, bodies. And definitely the global community sees Israel as a great investment opportunity. We see a lot of the global uh, venture capital firms opening offices here or having partnerships with the local uh, venture capital firms here in Israel by, by association. And there is uh, a lot of investment flowing into Israel. And we'll talk soon about the digital health aspect of it, but we see digital health investment rising year over year to significant numbers. Some of it is local money and some of it is government money, which is also an interesting aspect of Israel. But a lot of it is also global investment money coming into Israel.
1: And it goes beyond the private sector, which I think is also very key to some of the success that you guys are having. And I imagine you will be having over the coming 5, 10, 15 years and beyond as the digital health sector becomes far more established, far more routine in terms of the way that people work and expect to work. And the Israeli government is also supporting this in a big way. What are some of the things that the government is doing to advance the digital health sector?
2: So it's actually very true. The Israeli government recently launched an initiative or a set of initiatives, probably it's a better way to explain it, that are actually promoting the digital health as the country's next growth engine. You see more healthcare providers in tandem with actually the government initiative uh, sharing their medical data and opening it up for innovation. Now, the government basically uh, started now with a budget of slightly more than $300 million, and that's geared towards three main aspects of those initiatives. First is the, what we call the development of human capital in the uh, digital health space. So as we move forward, we see an increased demand for things like data scientists, but with an understanding of the digital health aspects rather than just, let's call it generic data science. So a lot of investment goes into the universities and into the different institutes. So when they teach, for example, um, data science, they, they also teach it with a flavor of digital health. So these people come out of the university or any other institute with the relevant knowledge to start working in, in the um, digital health scene. The other part is really developing a national infrastructure. So connecting between the different data silos of digital health that exist today or opening up data to global partnerships for research purposes, such as uh, large medical centers, hospitals, and research institutes that would actually benefit from having that type and variety of medical data and the last thing is naturally the sort of the business end of this initiative which is scaling the israeli innovation into the global market and this is uh the government's initiative and and funding that's been augmented naturally by the entire scene you know but when you think about the digital health scene in israel it's becoming a fairly big scene you think we're looking at probably more than 500 startups where probably 50% of them were founded in the last six years. We have incubators, we have three accelerators, multinationals, IBM, who's actually partnering with the National Health Service in the UK, uh, Microsoft, Samsung. You see pharma companies are also involved and there's a bunch of scouting uh, elements from these pharma companies looking for innovation. And we also see US-based healthcare making strides into, into Israel as well. So whether it's uh, Henry Ford uh, Health Systems, Whether it's Mount Sinai, Jefferson out of Philly, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, uh, and and others as well. So it's really becoming a well-established sector that's being actually augmented by both government initiatives, private initiatives, global interest, and it all fuses into this certain point of time, which makes it very interesting for the Israeli entrepreneurs.
1: It's really amazing. You talked about what Startup Nation Central does. And one of the things that I know that you've done for a few years and that you're just about to release or you have released it is the latest Startup Nation Central Finder Insights Series around digital health. So can you tell us a little bit about that report and what people can find and, and how people can get it?
2: Sure. So just to set in a bit of a context, mentioned before that we have an online innovation discovery platform by the name of Startup Nation's Finder. And essentially, it maps out the entire innovation space in Israel. And you can basically slice and dice it any way you want to. Part of it is actually the digital health scene in Israel. And for us, we've accumulated a lot of data uh, through for our platform, both from the hardcore data of investment data, what are investors looking for, what are the different subsectors within the digital health scene that are mostly prominent in Israel, what are the new trends that we see in in the market globally versus locally, and many other things. What we've started doing about two years ago is taking all that data and then basically translating it into, into a, an analysis report. We deemed out uh, the Finder Insight Series. We have those in several sectors. And this is the annual report on digital that's uh that actually came out. And within it you can find the investment trends, what are the prominent sectors within digital health that Israel is really focused on, whether investments are on the rise or not, what happened through through, uh, year over year, so comparison to last year and the year before that as well. What is the share, for example, of foreign investments and foreign activities in Israel versus the local activity? And also, what are the complementary technologies that augment digital health, such as cybersecurity and blockchain, two items that Israel is well known for and they fuse into um, the digital health element as well.
1: There's a link to the report in the show notes for this episode. And of course, listeners can also find it on the Startup Nation Central website. One thing that stood out to me in the report is that I noticed in 2017, there were $333 million invested in digital health companies. And in the first half, just the first half of 2018, there was already $270 million invested in digital health in Israel. There are loads of other great insights in here. So be sure to pick up a copy of this report go to startupnationcentral.org or visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 68. On the Digital Health Today website, we also have a great infographic that the team at Startup Nation Central prepared that shows the seven different focus areas within digital health and how some of the more than 500 companies line up within those areas. That's 500 Israel-based companies. So be sure to visit our website and check that out as well. Guy, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch and engage with your team?
2: So there are a couple of very easy things you can do in order to interact with Startup Nation Central. Either log in into our website, startupnationcentral.org, go to the Finder platform, Startup Nation Finder. You can Google it, find it very easily. And these two would give you either way to interact with us or interact directly with the different um, innovation entities that you're interested in. For each company within our innovation discovery platform, there's an introduction button. So once you slice and dice the information, you find the companies that are of interest to you, you can ask our analyst team to introduce you to them. And essentially, from there on, you just take it with the relevant uh, entrepreneurs. And last but not least, just leave us a message on our website, whether you're interested in uh, coming in for a delegation, getting more information, actually accessing... Some of the data that we have, downloading the, the health reports and so on, all of that would be available on our website and on our blog platform, which you can easily access, again, from the website. And for all of these, again, free of charge, just go and log in, leave your details, and download whatever it is that you're, uh, you're, you want.
1: Thank you for those. I'll make sure I include those on the show notes. And how about you, Eliav? Well, you have your website at orcam.com, O-R-C-A-M.com. You're on Twitter at orcam. Yeah. You
0: can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn.
1: Excellent. We'll include those links in the show notes as well. Thank you both very much for joining me. My guests today have been Eliev Rodman of OrCam and Guy Hilton of Startup Nation Central. Now, if you're looking for the lightning round questions, fear not. We have Guy's and Eliev's answers on the show notes. Visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 68. And you'll find those as well as links to the report by Startup Nation Central, the video of the demonstration we did on this episode, the infographic of the digital health landscape in Israel, and much, much more. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps build our audience, and it's a great way to support this show. That's all from me for now. I hope you're enjoying a great summer, and until next time, keep on innovating.